You're listening to Trucking Questions from the Audio Road with Kevin Rutherford. This is the show that puts the money where it belongs, back in your pocket. You can ask questions about trucks, money, fuel mileage, maintenance, tires, tax, technology, or anything else about the business of trucking. Here we go. Let's head on down the audio road. Panera Bread is now delivering in Raleigh. That means broccoli cheddar soup, roasted turkey and avocado BLT, and all your other favorites are delivered right to your office or door or porch or backyard or front yard or dorm or wherever for lunch dinner and everywhere in between order today at panerabread.com or download the app participating locations only panera food as it should be all right everybody thanks for joining us i'll give you a quick heads up here the text message went out late so the calls are just now starting to roll in we are going to do either one or two hours today based on your questions. Um, first hour is destination health. Second hour will depend on what kind of questions we've got. So in the second hour, anything goes. Um, so it looks like the uh, text message didn't go out late. It just had the wrong time on it. So um, I think we're sending out another one. So calls will probably start to come in. But if you've got a question, a comment, a topic, anything at all, press 1 on your phone right now, and I promise we will be able to get to you. Let's get started. Your money, your taxes, your truck, and your road to success in the trucking industry. This is Trucking Business and Beyond, the show that puts the money where it belongs, back in your pocket. Welcome to my world. I'm your host, Kevin Rutherford. The number to join us, 8888-ROAD-DOG. The website is letstruck.com. The show is all about the business of trucking. We take your calls and answer your questions about trucks, money, fuel mileage, maintenance, tires, taxes, technology, health and fitness on the road, getting started as an owner-operator, finding freight, working with brokers, you name it. We'll talk about it here on the show. Today is Destination Health, so joining me is my co-host, Kim Cockerham. Kim, welcome back. Glad to be here, Kevin. And uh, for the people who don't know, Destination Health is the show during the week where we talk about all things health, whether it's fitness, training, diet, weight loss, nutrition, uh, whatever it might be, and doing it on the road, which is always a little more of a challenge. But the more we do this and the more people that get involved, the easier we're finding it is to do. And, of course, we base everything here around nutrition. Um, our answer for everything is going to be nutrition first, possibly some supplementation, and uh, we're really trying to help people avoid medications and the diseases that seem to be such a, a big problem today. So uh, I'm excited. What uh, what kind of things do you have today? 
Um, you know what, and I, I, I love that too, Kevin, because it just is so empowering when we say we can handle things with, you know, deal with so much with nutrition. Um, I, I just think it's just like a light goes off. You know, people get that because I know I wasn't necessarily raised that way, you know. It just wasn't focus put on it. Um, and it's just because we didn't know, you know, and then we start slowly handing everything right. over to a pill. And um, to now take back our, our health and um, own it, um, it comes with a lot of responsibility because we're the only ones to look at then for that. But you know what? It's, it's, right. where we want, it's where we need to be. Yeah, really. And, you know, you, um, you sent me a text earlier today, yeah. and the text went out today, and I, I loved um, your thoughts on that. Why don't you share that with us? Yeah, you know, well, we just, you know, I traveled this morning, um, coming back to spend some time in Ohio. And I had, you know, when people share a quote with you sometimes that just sticks with you. And I'd heard years ago, somebody had shared with me. um, And this is ironic, we're gonna be, you know, our drivers will probably that, you know, shoot, they do this in an hour, but you get 50 miles from home. And you get a different perspective on things. Um, And I think it just gives you a chance to get away from you know, everyday stuff and and take a different look. And I just, it just really made me think about, you know, perspective, you know, like how often do we step back and really um, intentionally look at what our perspective is on things. And I think we've changed perspective a lot with health and so forth um, because you just get going the same road all the time. And, um, yeah, I just, I, you know, even just real briefly this morning, I mean, my perspective on things have changed just being, being away and, you know, actually back in my hometown now and, uh, it's kind of a reflective type thing. So I think it's good for us to do this. I think it's good for us to do this every now and then. I think so. You know, and that brings up a really good point. And, you know, when you sent me that and I was thinking about the idea of travel changing your perspective, and it does, Mm -hmm. because it gets us out of our routine, it gets us out of our comfort zone, it makes us see new things. When we see new things, we think new things. And I got thinking about that. Um, The first 19 years of my life, I didn't travel anywhere. My family never went on Mm -hmm. vacation up in lived in the same house in the same small town but I had a lot of different perspectives and I think one of the reasons why I wanted to travel so much and as soon as I started traveling I haven't stopped you know here I am we're in uh, post falls Idaho today you know we've been on the road for four months but what gave me so much perspective while I was growing up, even though I didn't travel, there's another really good way to change your perspective. And it's something I do just about every day. And that's reading. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Reading yeah. absolutely gives you thousands of new perspectives, the authors, the stories, the, you know, the settings, and I think that's why I love to read so much. And, and because mm-hmm. I did read so much, then I wanted to travel because I wanted to experience the same kind of things I was reading. And it, it's interesting, this week I found a new author. And I actually had a couple of his books. I didn't even realize. I, I thought I had one. It turns out I had three of them. And I hadn't read any of them yet. I bought them on my Kindle. They got buried in my big long list of books. And I think I was actually avoiding them a little bit 
And I'm glad I stopped avoiding him. Uh, Michael Pollan, I know you've read some of his stuff. Mm -hmm. I talked last week about Omnivore's Dilemma. I've read In Defense of Food. I've read Cooked. He's got books on gardening. And he's just a really good writer. And he's he's got what I think is a really well-balanced perspective on the whole issue of food. And he approaches it from lots of different angles. Like we have primarily focused on our health as individuals. But the book Omnivore's Dilemma is really on the health of the planet, on on the health of our country and our soil and our ecosystem and, and what the industrial food system has done to our ecosystem. And it's horrible. And, you know, I... I don't consider myself a tree hugger by any stretch, but I I love nature and I do think we have a responsibility to take care of it. And he goes so in depth into the book about what the industrial food system has done to the land and the water and the air and the soil. And it's horrible. Um, And then he, he, um, he compares that to a, a real working natural sustainable farm and one of the things in the book that really interested me the most is there are people who say well the grass-fed pastured sustainable organic that's all fine but you can't feed everybody that way they there are lots of people I think the majority of people have been brainwashed to believe that we need these big factory farms in order to feed everybody. And I don't think that's true. I'm going to do some more research on this and and put together some numbers, but I want to to, um, go through something for you. And it, it talks about how much food they produce. Um, and the farm that he went to is called Polyface Farm in Virginia. Mm-hmm. Okay. And it's Joel Salatin who owns the farm. And Joel Salatin is like a legend in the whole grass-fed, pastured. He's been doing it for decades, long before it was popular the way it is now. And he's worked with farmers all over the country and actually all over the world, and they've just perfected these self-sustaining systems. Like the, the amazing thing on his farm, the only thing he brings into the farm, he brings in a limited amount of chicken feed because I guess chickens do really well on pasture, but they do even better if you supplement some of their diet. So he brings in some chicken feed. Other than that, the farm sustains itself. The cows feed the pasture, the pasture feed the cows, the pastures feed the chickens, the chickens feed. It just goes on and Mm -hmm. on in this giant circle that is completely self-sustaining. And they claim that the land gets better and better. Like when his family took over this farm, the, the land wasn't even all that great. It had been depleted like most of our farmland has. And every year their quality on their on the farm the land and the soil get better and that's that's really an amazing thing and then there are people will who will argue but 
yeah, that's not realistic. You can't feed, you know, enough people that way. Listen to these numbers. So their entire farm, I think, is 500 acres, but their pasture is 100. The rest of it is forest. They, you know, they grow some firewood and they, they do some other things, but they claim that the way they work their pastures through the forest, the forest is technically a part of the farm, but they're only grazing on 100 acres. That's not really that much. I mean, when you think about it, you know, you can find, you know, urban neighborhoods where an acre lot is fairly common. An acre isn't that big. A hundred acres, no big deal. You know, we think of factory farms, it's thousands and tens mm-hmm. of thousands of acres of one crop or two, yeah. corn and soy. So when we come back from this break, I'm going to read you how much food they produce on that 100 acres. Absolutely amazing. Then uh, we might have a couple other things, and then we'll get to some of your calls and questions. So stick around. We'll be right back. Welcome back. I'm Kevin Rutherford. This is Destination Health. My co-host is Kim Cockerham. So, Kim, on 100 acres of pasture, they Mm -hmm. produce 25,000 pounds of beef. Now, this is every year. So this is what actually gets sold every year. 25,000 pounds of beef, 50,000 pounds of pork, 12,000 thousand broiler chickens, whole chickens, eight hundred turkeys, five hundred oh rabbits. Yeah, five hundred <laughs> rabbits. They also raise rabbits for food. And three hundred and sixty thousand eggs. Well shoot. <laughs> That's yeah. enough to feed a lot of people. Sustainably. <laughs> That's on sustainably. Acres. Yeah, and it gets wow. better every year. Yeah. That is incredible. (laughs) (laughs) You get fascinated by it. That's the whole thing. You know, I love it. Yeah. So the other thing I found out about Polyface Farms, and I wish I could figure out a way to go do this myself every Uh summer from May. (laughs) I know. Every summer from May (laughs) through September, they take on nine interns that get to work the farm all summer long, and then they choose two of those to stay an entire year. And then if there are any openings, they actually hire only from those programs. I think that would just be amazing to go, you know, work on a farm like that and see how they do this. You know what? It's in line with that. Oh, my gosh. i got to remember the name of it that I had sent you where we started doing the aquaponics, where that gentleman, that's his ministry, you know, to teach with the, you know, self-sustaining with the fish. And then, you know, it feeds the, 
plants and then you eat the fish, but they do that in disadvantaged countries and stuff too. And they do the same thing. They bring people in to teach and, you know, it's, you teach people, then they go out and spread and do more. And I think, I think that it's awesome. Yeah. One of the things I'm going to work on is, is figure out how many acres of farmable land there is in the U.S. It's a lot because I just drove through lots and lots and lots of corn, corn after corn after corn. And I want to take reasonable numbers about how much farmable land there is and apply these numbers to that. And I have a feeling we could produce way more food than what we need. Mm-hmm. Well, and that's, I think, the whole thing, too, with industrial farming. And, and you'll probably read a lot. There's a lot of research if you read any of the books on, you know, veganism and stuff, too. Just, you know, and that's what Michael Pollan te- teaches as well. And like you said, at first you're thinking when he says mostly plants that it's, you know, going to be skewed that way. But um, there's a lot we can learn from, from um, that whole movement as well as far as, you know, taking care of our earth and, you know, so forth. Yeah, well, the the interesting thing is, even though, and I, I act, I've grown to love his line. His line is, eat food, not mm-hmm. too much, most plants. And yeah. when I read that, I thought, oh, he's going to be one of those vegetarian. And, and but he's not at all. He eats mm-hmm. meat. He he recommends eating meat. He actually mentions the Weston Price Foundation many times, which is the N- what the NTP program is based on, and he highly recommends eating animals. When he says mostly plants, he's really talking about a plate that looks just like mm-hmm. the meals we talk about. If mm-hmm. you look at yeah. the plate, a, a good meal should be mostly vegetables by volume because but not necessarily by calories because, you know, the, the type of food we talk about eating, you know, higher fat meats, they're very calorie dense. So you don't have to have a big serving of meat or a, a large amount of fat because it's so calorie dense. On the other hand, three quarters of your plate might be taken up with vegetables. And yeah, that's and that's really what it's kind of cool that it's come around to that. talking about. Yeah, mm-hmm. and, and when you look at the way we used to eat, we used to eat meat was almost kind of used as a flavoring. You know, so you would take small amounts of meat and use that to flavor dishes. And then, hmm. you know, over time, we've let the protein kind of take over the plate and become, you know, this giant hunk of meat, and then we eat side dishes. Mm-hmm. But that's not the way we used to eat. We used to eat a lot of vegetables with meat, but we ate, you know, better quality meat. We ate more of the organ meats. We ate more of the fattier cuts. And we've just allowed, you know, a giant 16-ounce steak to take over the plate. Yeah. And that's not healthy. That, that's not a good way to eat. So his, his – now, I will warn people. His books are long and very in-depth and technical. You know, they're not easy reads, something like, you know, Eat the Yolks, I recommend a lot. It's a nice, easy read, not a lot of detail, um, covers the big picture really well. His books are the opposite. His are really, really detailed. He can spend four hours 
on, you know, the genetics of corn. And, and he gets really deep into it. So it, it's one of those books that not real fast moving, but I learned a, a lot from his books that I haven't read anywhere else. Hmm. So I'll have to check it out. Yeah. Really good. Yeah. Yeah. His Food Rules one, I don't know if he has that. That's the one um, Matt had, had recommended um, uh, last year, I think, on the show. And that's a quick read. So if anybody wants to start in with that one, um, that's a really great book of his. Yeah, I'll have to check that one out. That mm-hmm. It sounds a little bit like the end of the book in defense of food. He gives the last chapter in that book is Food Rules. And it's kind of just some basic ideas. And it really fits well with what we talk about. You know, he talks, but he has a rule that says, um, eat food. Well, Mm -hmm. what he means by that is if it has a label and an ingredient list, it's probably not Mm -hmm. food. He calls it a food-like product. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's what we talk about. We talk about the the more food you eat without a label, the healthier you're going to be. Then he goes a little bit farther to say, okay, I realize not everything you eat is going to not have a label. So his next couple of rules are if it has a label, you should be able to pronounce Mm -hmm. everything that's on the label. You should be familiar with everything that's on the label. And it should have less than five ingredients. And I love that one, too. There are some foods that I obviously buy, um, and I try to follow that rule. I love it. I want to be able to recognize everything that's on the label. And I don't know what the hell carrageenan is. I don't think most people do. Mm -mm. But we find those kind of things on labels all the time. Um, I, I love the idea of less than five. So if you stick to a food product that has less than five ingredients and you can name everything on there, even better, I like the rule of if it's on the label, it should be something that I would have in my pantry. You know, Mm -hmm. I don't keep carrageenan or disodium phosphate in my pantry. So I really don't want it on the label. Mm-hmm. So that that's kind of what his food rules are. And then he's got more about um, not eating alone, not eating in the car. So mm-hmm. he goes into the social aspect of food as well. Yeah, and, you know, you get so many people that ask, you know, what to eat, what to eat, and that has just simplified it tremendously when you put those it, simple it, facts to yeah, it. Yeah, and, you know, that that's the whole premise behind his book, The Omnivore's Dilemma. Um we are omnivores, we can eat almost anything. And the dilemma is when you have that many choices, how do you pick the right stuff? And, and his whole premise is that throughout the centuries, we picked the right stuff to eat based on culture. And it, it, we had rules. And what happened in America is those rules all fell apart. America doesn't have a strong food culture. You know, if you go to Thailand, you know exactly what they eat. They have a very strong food culture. Um, Italy had a very strong food culture. Now, the whole world is starting to lose theirs, mostly mm-hmm. because we keep exporting all of our food. <laughs> right. um, but but 
the United States, because we we're such a melting pot, never had its own food culture. You know, if you were fortunate enough to be brought up in a strong ethnic family, you may have been brought up with a food culture. I wasn't. I was brought up on the standard American diet from the 60s, which was TV dinners, mm-hmm. canned everything, um, you know, very, very little fresh anything. And I think a lot of us grew up that way. So that's what he talks about is, is you know, we, we lost our way. We don't know what we're supposed to eat. There's another concept that he brings up that I, I'm going to talk about and then we'll get to some calls. So let's get to a break. We'll come back. We'll talk about one more idea, and then we'll get to some of your questions. So stick around. We'll be right back. I'm Kevin Dunn. Welcome back. I'm Kevin Rutherford. This is Destination Health. My co-host is Kim Cockerham. So, Kim, he made a statement in the book, and I thought he was going to lose me. The statement sounded so outrageous to me. and But once I listened and, and really understood what he meant, it took a while, I totally agree now. He made a statement. He said, we have got to stop thinking about food on the basis of nutrients. And I thought, what? Why would we do that? Of course we want to know what nutrients are in food. That's how it's nutrients that make us healthy. We need to know. And he explains it in a way that really makes a lot of sense. We have stopped thinking about food and we have focused so much on individual nutrients and it's part of why we lost our way. And here's an example. Once we identify a nutrient that's good for us, and think about how many times this has happened, or a nutrient or a part of food that's bad for us, because mm-hmm. fat is a nutrient. And isn't it the, the fear of fat that got us in so much trouble? Because yeah, we exactly. focused on that, that nutrient And then the next thing that happens is once we focus on a nutrient instead of a food, now we've just opened it up for the marketers. Because if we identify that vitamin C is really good for you, now they can put vitamin C in anything. And guess what? We think it's healthy. (laughs) That this is where all the labeling comes from, all the health claims on food. Once we demonized fat as a nutrient and said this is a bad nutrient, then marketers could sell everything by calling it low fat. 
And that's a the big newest hit. one. Yep. Yeah, and the newest one, gluten free. Mm-hmm. I, I agree. Yeah. Gluten bad for people. We we know it is. It it we shouldn't be eating it. It causes all kinds of problems. But by focusing on that word, now you walk into the grocery store and what do you see everywhere mm-hmm. on every label? Gluten free. Yep. So what? That doesn't mean it's healthy. And it so happened in record have... time, didn't it? <laughs> yeah, it did. Yeah, I mean, how long ago was it that unless you were a baker, you didn't even know what gluten was? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, yeah. and now it's being used to sell all kinds of food, and it's not healthy food at all. Mm-hmm. And that's actually one of his rules. Never eat food that makes a health claim. Oh, yeah. So if there's some sort of health claim mm-hmm. on the box, on the label, on the package, don't eat it. I think that's a good <laughs> rule. But yeah. but his idea was stop focusing on nutrients and focus on food, real, real food. food. Mm-hmm. And and we've been saying that. He just says it better. And, <laughs> and that idea of not trying to seek out a nutrient. You know, I, I can tell you the next one that's it's already kind of here, but I think they've got a, a lot of uh, mileage left to get out of this one, omega-3. Clearly, we there's tons of evidence now that shows we're way oversaturated in omega-6 and we don't get enough omega-3. But, and they're they're learning how to micro-encapsulate fish oil now so they can put it in other foods. And that's what they're going to start doing. They're going to start loading up foods with omega-3s and calling them healthy. <laughs> yeah. And they won't be. You're right. If you want omega-3s, just eat real food. Mm-hmm. Grass-fed beef, pastured eggs, wild-caught fish, um, walnuts. Just just focus on eating real food, which okay. is kind of wonderful, really. <laughs> It's yeah. exactly wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So we've covered a lot of ground today. What do you say we get to some calls? Yeah. And, you know, real quick, though, when you said that, you know, we say it's simple, you know, and I didn't mean to throw that out there just like that, but you you do have to do the work, and especially with all of our uh, wonderful tribe that are on the road, it takes extra work to have that real food, um, you know, um, with them or know where to go. So, I know it does go an extra step, yeah. but when, once you start and get that, you know, step back and intentionally make that happen, that's when you're going to see all this good stuff happen. Well, you know, you said that correctly, though. It is simple. It's not easy. Right. It is simple. This is not hard to understand. That's the beauty of this. We've all been so confused for so long, and we thought this was complicated. It's not complicated at all. It's simple. Eat real food. Mm-hmm. The hard part is it's hard to find real food these days. Yeah. Our, our, we're surrounded by fake food and Franken food and, and stuff that isn't really food. And, and we do have to work and go out of our way and create new habits so that we, we have that access to real food. But you were absolutely correct. This is simple. Just eat real food. Yeah. All right. Let's get to some phone calls. We're going to start off in South Dakota. Brent, welcome to the program. 
Hello, Kevin. Hey there. I'm uh, I'm out of the hospital after my triple bypass. Well, it's certainly good to hear your voice. Sure is. Yeah. um, I had a... Before I went into the hospital, I had my, what they call an ejection fraction of 10 to 15%. Most normal people get 60 and 70%, and I was cleared down to 10 to 15 um, but they, they decided to keep me in. They said I needed a triple bypass. Um, I, they were fine with me having a keto diet and everything coming while before surgery. Um, so I had my parents bringing up avocados and, you know, some berries and, and blueberries and raspberries and some, like, you know, they fried up some, uh, you know, pork chops and all that stuff. Well, the day, the very day of my going into the hospital, into the surgery, I was 249 pounds. After surgery, I was up for all the fluids and everything that they pumped into me. Plus, well, then they put me in ICU for about five days. I was in ICU for five days. I ballooned up to about 269. Wow. Um, because they That's would crazy. not let me have all they gave me was a high carb and they kept pushing the stuff onto me. <laughs> oh. And I said, Well, I if you're gonna make me eat this and all I'm gonna eat is just fresh fruit. I said, All if you want bring me some grapes. You know, yeah. at least that is natural, I'm gonna I'll be fine with that. So, Good you know choice. if that's what they want me to do, I'll do it. But I'm not gonna drink their bottled orange juice and you know it says high fructose right. corn syrup right on it so yeah they, they had me on that they got me out of the hospital finally while well, I, I went i went up and that monday after which is a week after my surgery because i went in for surgery on mon on monday the 20th the 28th they told me i had to track my weight every day I was 263 pounds after all that carbs. Today, okay. I've been losing weight every day, and I've been—I went right back on my keto diet. 242 pounds this morning. Wow! Oh my gosh! <laughs> that is incredible. I dropped all that. They also checked my uh, my my ejection fraction, which was at 10 to 15. I'm up to 30 to 35 percent now. Outstanding. And I'm eating, I'm eating all that stuff that the American Heart Association says is so bad for me. Yeah, you know I'm, the I'm the interesting thing now is that we absolutely know uh, there's just indisputable proof now that that diet that that they're still recommending is bad for us. The diet that they gave you in the hospital is bad for us, and yeah. you're like. A great example of watching what happened in a very short period of time when you had to go back to eating that way, and how fast you turned it back around again when you got out. Yeah, it was on the 28th was when I weighed the first one at 263, all the way to the sixth. What is that? A week? Week and yeah. two days? Yeah. Yeah, less than ten days. Dropped 20 that, pounds. It, yeah, and. There are people who would criticize that and say, well, it was all water weight. Well, a good portion of it is. We know that. 
But that's yeah. a good thing. Your body should not be holding on to that much water. And, and on our standard American diet, it has to to try to process all of those carbohydrates. So when you got rid of the carbohydrates again, your body says, oh, look, we don't have to hold on to all this water. So people criticize it, saying in the beginning it's, it's a lot of water weight that you lose. You're right, it is. That's not a criticism. I mean, it's a good thing. Our body doesn't need to hold on to all that water. Stick around. We'll be right back. Kevin Ruff. A quick heads up, we're heading into the fourth segment. We'll get to as many calls as we can, and then we're going to come back and get to more. We're going to do a second hour, so don't hang up. Here we go. Welcome back. Kevin Rutherford. This is Destination Health. Kim Cockerham is my co-host. Kim, isn't that just incredible? It really is. I'm so proud of Brent, too. Um, boy, what he's gone through just since the CMC. And then um, what a testimony, you know? And to tell him, I don't want your food, you know, keep your orange juice, give me some real yeah. good food. I mean, you know what? And hopefully, you know, somebody took note of that, too. You know, planted a seed to say, hey, you know, Maybe, and again, it's that perspective. You get doing the same thing all the time, and they might be doing it. So you might have, might have helped change a little things there. Yeah. You know, and, and he made a good choice. He's looking at the food they made available to him, and it's all high carbohydrate, and he chose mm-hmm. the best carbohydrates he could get. If you're going to have to eat that much sugar and carbohydrate, make it a lot of fruits and vegetables. At least it's still whole real food. You know, and, and mm-hmm. this comes back to another message. And, and this was what Weston Price found when he traveled all over the world. He found that humans could be incredibly healthy on a wide range of diets. I mean, there were some, you know, uh, cultures that he spent time with that ate way more carbohydrates than we talk about now. And they were very healthy doing it. But they were whole real food. It wasn't processed. And, and that was mm-hmm. what they were genetically inclined to eat. And they were very healthy doing it. On the other hand, he, you know, spent time with cultures that ate 80 to 90 percent animal fat and, and almost no vegetation whatsoever. Um, the Inuits, the Maasai, the Maasai eat meat, blood and milk. That's it. And, and they were incredibly healthy. So it it seems like the human body can survive on a lot of different diets, but the standard American diet is not one of them. And I think the biggest reason is it's not real food. Mm -hmm. 
And the thing we have to be careful about now is, is that we've done enough damage to our body over our lifetime that we can't get by on a high-carbohydrate diet, even if it is all whole real food. Not until we can repair the damage to our sugar control systems and, and you know, diminish the insulin resistance first, you may be able to transition back into eating more of that. But we all have a lot of damage we've got to fix first. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Any idea? All right. Is it, I mean, is that one, Kevin, is that one thing that's different with everybody, too, when you say repair the damage? I mean, are we talking, and again, I know it's, it's so individual, but uh, how how fast? Like, is it pretty quick kind of um, instantaneous, you know, some things that you can change up pretty quick to, like that, just cut out the sugar and cut out the grains, that kind of stuff. We see some pretty instant things. But getting your digestion fixed and so forth like that, um, how hopeful? You know, it, 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 are we? Yeah, it, it, the thing is, there is, I mean, we talk about people who are, once the damage is done and they're on a medication, which is just common, you're going to be on that medication the rest of your life. There isn't a single medication, really, that you ever stop taking. If they put you on a drug for high blood pressure, you're on it the rest of your life. If they put you on one for high cholesterol, you're on it the rest of your life. If they put you on one for um, insulin resistance, you're on it the rest of your life. That's a long, long time. The good news is that with diet, you know, we can fix blood sugar control in weeks. We can't restore your body back to its its normal insulin um, control. That could take years. So okay. you may have to stay on that very low-carb diet for a couple years. But then you may find that your body starts bringing back that insulin and, and sugar control and you could start to up the carbs. Digestion can be fixed for a lot of people 80% in just a couple weeks. Sometimes the, the next 20 might take six months. Um, and you're right, it, it's very individual. Some people may take years. It, we, it, getting hormonal systems back in balance can take time because they're pretty tricky. Um, but the good news is mm-hmm. it can all be fixed. And, mm-hmm. and what if it does take us two or three years? So what? Exactly. And, yeah, and the other, fine, the no other thing is, yeah, the other thing is eating, if we stick with just our first rule of eating, eat real food, we're never going to change that. That isn't right. something you're going to do for two or three years and then stop doing it. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, the idea is to eat this way the rest of your life. The one thing you may adjust over time is that macronutrient balance. You know, I, I keep thinking, you know, maybe I'll go back to more carbs, but every time I do, I find that I don't feel as good as when I eat pretty low carb. So I, I'm... I'm really just learning to listen to my body. If mm-hmm. I feel good, I'm probably working right. Yeah, and that helps. That helps you hear a little bit. Um, and I love how you touched all the different ones. And a uh, number one thing I think we teach, and I have really embraced this, even just since we've amped up everything with the health, is that because I used to think in terms of diet as far as a time frame, you know, you reach your goals right. and you're going to change, you know. 
this is how yeah. we want to be for good quality of health and life. Yeah, and, and it doesn't have to be restrictive at all. If When you say eat real food, my God, there's lots of oh, real yeah. food to eat. And, and the beauty of the time we live in now, I, I, I will still encourage people to eat local as much as you can because I think local is good for us and it's good for the environment. But it's also kind of nice to know that we can get food from all over the world. So you're not limited in hardly any way by saying eat real food. Right, right. And there's so much more. That's what I love that, you know, yeah. it's not what you can't eat. There's so much more you can eat. So, okay, yeah, thanks. I'm sorry, I stopped you from going some questions. Yeah. Um, but, nope. but uh, yeah, that was great. Excellent. Let's go to Wisconsin. Bill, welcome to the program. Hey, thanks for taking the call, Kevin. Uh, hi, Kim. Um, hi there. I talked to you guys a while back. I was a caller who asked if there was a recipe book for the most resistive of family and friends. And two weeks ago, you all got to meet one of those people. It was my dad. He called it into your yeah. show. Yeah, oh, yeah, he was. Yeah, and yeah. I loved it because Kevin called him the skeptic that he loved having him call. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and I. I I wish we had more time. He came on kind of late in the show, but I, it, it was a great conversation. Right, right. And I love it. He, he loves to challenge me on it when I try to present it because I'm all into that way of eating keto, paleo, more keto than paleo. And I'm trying to help him and my mom, which will bring up a second issue after this. My dad raised a good question, and I haven't studied it in the last 10 years, so I don't have an answer. And that is, if the keto, paleo way of eating is so great, then how come with our standard way of eating, our longevity, our life expectancy has continually grown to an older age instead of decreasing? Yep, and I can answer that because I've studied this in depth. And I will tell you something else, though. Most people now are predicting that our children, when I say Mm -hmm. ours, I'm assuming you know, Kim, you and I are about the same mm-hmm. age. We're in our 40s and 50s, 60s. They're now saying that our children will be the first generation to start going in the other direction, that yep. we are yep. no longer going to be increasing lifespan. It's starting to decrease. But there's a reason why it increased, and it's not what people think. Well, there's lots of reasons. Let's talk about infant mortality. Um, how many preemies survive now being born incredibly tiny and if you go back 30 years just 30 years that isn't that long ago that wasn't possible every one of those babies that survive increase the lifespan because it's done by an average so infant mortality has a huge impact on our overall lifespan because we're averaging when people die Um, mothers dying in childbirth. That has a huge impact on our overall lifespan. We have conquered a lot of infectious diseases, and we've done pretty amazing in that. So we've kept people alive that would have died from an infection. But that has nothing to do with how healthy they are or how long they may or may not have lived. So there's been a huge increase there. Um, Brent earlier triple bypass 30 or 40 years ago he would have died 
he, we, we, we've kept so many people alive with heart disease that it has really increased the numbers. We've gotten better right. at keeping people alive with cancer. Um, we've gotten better at keeping people alive with diabetes. So we have had advancements, but honestly, if you look at a lot of those advancements, we're keeping sick people alive longer. I want to keep people healthy longer. So this is a, a great question, and there's more to it, and we are going to pick it up as the topic of our next show, because that music means I've got to get out of here, but uh, such a great topic. We're just going to pick right up with this on the next show. Thanks for joining me. Destination Health. All right, here we go. We're going to do another hour. Your money, your taxes, your truck, and your road to success in the trucking industry. This is Trucking Business and Beyond, the show that puts the money where it belongs, back in your pocket. Welcome to my world. I'm your host, Kevin Rutherford. The website is letstruck.com. Tonight is Destination Health, so my co-host is with me, Kim Cockerham. Kim, welcome back. Glad to be here, Kevin. Thank you. You're welcome. And this is the show where we talk about everything health, fitness and training and diet and nutrition and lifestyle. And we throw in some meditation and yoga and all kinds of different things. And we talk about how to stay really healthy and vibrant on the road, given the lifestyle of a truck driver. And and in the beginning, it seemed really challenging, sometimes almost impossible but the more we do this and the more we talk about it, the more we're finding ways. And, and I haven't said this in a while, but you and I have talked about this, and we have a goal here on the show. We know that when you look at the statistics, health statistics for Americans, it's pretty grim. Even worse, when you look at truck drivers, they're a lot less healthy than the general population, which isn't very healthy and, and we've set a goal here on the show that we want to make the trucking industry an example of what's possible. We want to make truck drivers healthier than the general population. And we have a great tribe to do that because, you know, we just had a couple callers from the last show that shared how they're being an example. And, and they go to bat for it, too, getting the message out, you know, with people that may have um, questions or be skeptical about it that um, – you know, they're standing up and saying, hey, listen, <laughs> you know, yeah, that's something to share. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Speaking of that, on the, the end of the last show, we were talking with Bill mm-hmm. in Wisconsin. We're going to bring him back on. Yes. Um, Bill, you brought up a, a great a great question. Um, why, why does our life expectancy, why was it getting longer and longer and longer? Now it looks like we're going to reverse that. And on the last show, I kind of went through some of the big reasons. Um, medical advancements, keeping sick people alive, keeping p- 
people who would have died of a heart attack 30 or 40 years ago, we keep them alive today. People who have advanced diabetes and we keep them alive and cancers and we keep them alive. And, but we're really keeping a lot of sick people alive longer. And when we look at the quality of life for most of our seniors, it's not good. The average 60-year-old right. is on seven prescriptions. That's horrible. So, wow. But that does, that does skew the numbers. And I talked about infant mortality. We, we bring preemies um, into the world a lot earlier than we were ever able to do because of medical advancements. And all of those things skew the numbers when we talk about the average life expectancy. You know, we were always led to believe that, you know, that the Paleolithic people, the hunter-gatherer ancestors, you know, we were told that, well, their average lifespan was 26 years. But it's an average. There's lots and lots of proof that if they survived the, the really harsh years, so being young during that time was dangerous. You could get eaten by something. Being, you know, a teenager was dangerous because you were the ones out trying to kill animals and you probably died during a hunt. You died from an injury. Um, once you got through those dangerous years, there's lots of proof that the elders lived 60, 70, 80 years back then, healthy, no tooth decay, none of the degenerative diseases we have today. It was just a very dangerous place to live. If you got a cut and it managed to get infected, you could die from the infection alone. People don't die from infections today. So there have been some medical advancements that have certainly been positive. But on the other right. hand, our lifestyle and our industrial food system is killing us. Now, think about this possibility. What if we combine the best of those two worlds? What if we eat really healthy, real food all of our life, we manage stress better than we've been doing for the last hundred years, and we have those medical advancements as well so that we're not going to die from an infection? And, and you know, we, we have these other life-saving treatments. Who's to say we couldn't live 100 to 120 years very healthy? Right on. I agree. And I've got both, I've got two of the diseases in my family, uh, cancer and diabetes. My dad's a diabetic, and he's on metformin. And I've been trying to get him to cut out carbs, and I told him breads and pastas and greens. And he goes, pasta's not a carb. It's on my diabetic website I go to. And I said, uh, Dad, of course it you is. just want to eliminate it. Trust me. <laughs> yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. Well, I was just going to say the food that the American Diabetes Association recommends is atrocious. It's the last thing diabetics should be eating. Yep, I agree. And with my mom, which was this, this was the second item I was going to discuss, she's in a catch-22. She's got pancreatic cancer. A year and a half ago, she had the Whipple surgery at Barnes in St. Louis, and it's back. Uh, she used to be a fluffy woman, and she's about skin and bone right now, and her quality of life is not the greatest. Uh, I had started her on Bulletproof Coffee, but my mistake is I would used honey. This energizer got her out of bed, had her clean in house, and I thought, 
cool, maybe we're going to reverse this. Um, Then she started to go back. Well, part of mom's problem is 10 years ago she had her gallbladder removed because it ruptured and it almost killed her. So she's working without a gallbladder, and she's having trouble swallowing, so she can't take the uh, ox bile that I bought for her. And when you try to break the capsule open and put it in the food, it burns her mouth literally so she can't mm-hmm. use it. And they've had to reduce her pills to about an eighth of an inch in diameter because that's all she can handle swallowing. So and I don't know what to do for her. Beaker Boss worked for a while. I'd gotten the one you you talked about Morgan Bryan works, and that actually took her off her pain meds for a little while, but then that gave way. So now I don't know what to do to make her quality of life better while she still has it. Got it. So um, this is one of those cases, Kim, where, where we talked about on the last show with, with, you know, depending on how far somebody's health has deteriorated, you know, how much do you have to do to get it back and how long? Um, the one thing I would certainly encourage you to do some research on and maybe encourage her to do some reading with you is all the work okay. that's being right now on ketogenic diets and cancer there's a really really interesting story that most cancer cells can only survive on glucose and every other cell in our body can survive on either glucose or pure fat ketones and they're finding really amazing results they're they're doing what's called a restricted ketogenic diet so they're going very ketogenic and then restricting calories on top of it and they're finding it's much easier to restrict calories because when somebody's Mm -hmm. ketogenic they don't have that huge appetite so it's not much of a struggle but they're like literally starving the cancer cells now we have to address the the issue of fat digestion without the gallbladder because that's another complication here. Um, My guess would be, and I'm going to have to go do some research on this, and I will, by the way. I'll do the research this week, and we'll have an answer by next week. There should be a form of bile salts that she'll be able to take. If she can't swallow the pill or the capsule, there's got to be another form or another way okay. to prepare it so that she can, and, I, and I'll go do that research. I would definitely appreciate it. Thank you, because my dad tried mixing it in applesauce, and like I said, it, it burned her mouth. Granted, I had the 250-milligram yeah. capsules that were designed for somebody who did not have a gallbladder, but uh, since she couldn't swallow the capsule itself, my dad went ahead and opened it and mixed it with applesauce, but even with a little bit and a great quantity of applesauce, it still burned the living heck out of her mouth, and then it burned his when he tried it. Yeah, it, it, it's an enzyme, and it, it's designed to dissolve fat. I mean, that's kind of what it does. So um, that's why I, I don't have an answer right off the bat, but I will do some research, and I'll figure something out. I definitely appreciate it. Definitely. Did you want me to hang on and give you an email? address that you can shoot it to me uh, yeah. Yep, let me do that. Okay. I'll put you back on hold and Bridget can pick up and we will get that done. Let's uh let's head to Nebraska. George, welcome to the program. Kevin, good afternoon. Hey uh I knew that kind of uh something I just noticed here a little while back is this summer I don't seem to be nearly as tasty to the mosquitoes 
the local mosquito population here. I, I've, I've been sleeping out in uh, mosquito country and not getting any bites. Interesting. And well, let, let's uh, let me get to a break. We'll come back and we'll talk about that. Um, who knows? Could be something to that. We'll be right back. Stick around. Kevin Brown. I'm Kevin Rothford. My co-host is Kim Cockerham. Before the break, we were talking with George in Nebraska. So, George, you say the mosquitoes are biting you less, and and uh, are you on a keto diet? Yeah, I've, I've been on a keto diet since about uh, October, so I've lost about 65 pounds. And, uh, yeah, I used to be the, the first target for all the mosquitoes. I mean, even in January, I'd be the one getting them. And... Uh, Anyways, I just I just thought it was kind of an interesting. I don't know if it's correlation there or not, or if it's just whatever. Well, it, it's uh, Kim. You just sent me a, a <laughs> ton of information here. Well, it smells um, all that other junk in there, but I as I was at Google with my friends, I'm like, oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah, it 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 turns out that you might be onto something here that ketones are a natural and effective mosquito <laughs> repellent. And I'm just kind of skimming through this cause I just got yeah. it. Yeah. Is it, is it true? Um, I'm reading a sentence here. It says some of these compounds are considerably more effective than DEET, which is really <laughs> effective, but it's kind of dangerous. Oh. And they're actually trying to produce ketones as a spray on <laughs> repellent. Oh my gosh, that is that's interesting. How interesting! Yeah. yeah. Anyway, yeah, I wow. just thought I'd throw that throw that in the mix of things here. But anyways, one other thing for Kim, I just sent you a cheat sheet. It's on a PDF. I sent it to support it at your email there. If okay. you could check that out and tell me if I got anything, if I'm way off base anywhere. And, and okay. do that. You know, send send me an email back. It's, you know, I've already made five changes since I since I sent it to you. But I gotta okay. keep making the I gotta keep making the print smaller and smaller and smaller so I can fit everything on one page. <laughs> there you go. We'll uh, we'll so. see what we could do with it. Thanks for the uh, the call. That's interesting. Now I have something else I have to go research, Kim. Yeah, <laughs> we're adding to your list. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. All right, we're going to head off to Chicago. Lloyd, welcome to the program. Hi, Kevin. Thank you so much for taking my call. You're welcome. What can I help you with today? Uh, well, I have a grandson who at three months old was uh, diagnosed with cancer, is currently fi- 
fighting uh, Ewing sarcoma. He's uh, 11 months old now and been through uh, chemotherapy uh, since he was diagnosed. He's had seven rounds. Um, wow. We got some good news last week. He's been successful, successfully shrunk small enough that uh, he's going to have surgery on uh, Friday to remove the tumor and the two fingers, his pinky finger and ring finger that the tumor was attached to. Mm-hmm. Um, going forward from that point, uh, he's going to have uh, more rounds of chemotherapy through November. Um, just looking to get some information on a diet that would be beneficial to him. Got it. And uh, first of all, I'm so sorry to hear this. Um, it, it has to be really difficult, but I, I'm certainly glad to hear that some of the news is starting to turn and look better. Um, again, like I, I mentioned before, um, there is a ton of research being done on using ketogenic diets specifically um, to treat cancers. There are a couple institutes um, and, and clinics. Um, one of them you may want to look at um, is okay. the Charlie Foundation. Look at charliefoundation.org. They, okay. they started using a ketogenic diet for childhood epilepsy and found great results, and, and they've also expanded into using a ketogenic diet for cancer, and they're finding amazing results. And not, it's not one of those things where they're saying, eat a ketogenic diet and ignore the doctors. They're saying use it in combination with the traditional cancer treatments, including chemotherapy and radiation. And what they're finding is that, yes, you're still going to do the chemotherapy, you're still going to do the radiation, you're going to aggressively go after the cancer medically, but by being on a ketogenic diet, it does two major things. It starves the cancer cells so that they are much more easily killed by the chemotherapy and the radiation, and it strengthens all the other cells in the body so that it minimizes the side effects of chemotherapy and radiation, which are pretty horrendous. So it's really promising what's happening, and, and it makes a lot of sense that you know you with the ketogenic diet you create these strong healthy cells that aren't as affected by the chemotherapy and the radiation and the cancer cells are starved so that they die faster so they're able to use less chemotherapy and less radiation and have fewer side effects i see um that's all that's all great i I'm definitely going to go check out the Charlie Foundation. Um, one other thing we've noticed uh, within a couple of days of uh, having his rounds of chemo, he has, uh, I don't know how else I'll say this, he has diapers that are just mm-hmm. ridiculous. Um, his Yeah, his his backside breaks out really bad. Is there something we can do to provide him some comfort that way? I mean, I I don't know what to do. And the doctors just provide, yeah. they, I mean, they just 
prescribed creams we put on, and they help a little bit, but I, right. I don't know. Right. Well, what what's happening? I, let Let's just talk a little bit about chemotherapy. What it is, and I don't want to freak you out, but the sure. whole idea behind chemotherapy, when when you study this, and, and the doctors will tell you this is their job when they're administering chemotherapy. They literally are trying to take the body really, really close to death in order to kill the cancer cells and hopefully keep the body healthy enough that they don't kill somebody, that they can then bring them back. So it is incredibly powerful, toxic drugs that that they're using, and they know that. And and the whole balancing act is to, to give as much of this toxic drug as possible to kill the cancer completely without killing the body. So you are going to have horrendous side effects like this. Um, But there are ways to make it better. This is one of those cases where I would absolutely recommend you find a a team. You know, you've, you've got the cancer doctors, the oncologist, all the other specialists on the medical side I would also recruit a, a naturopath and an NTP and get them involved okay. to keep him healthy. Okay. I've been I've been talking with my chiropractor who is very holistic and he's offered good. me some some good advice and I'm just now starting down that path myself. You know, my uh my daughter and son-in-law, you know, they obviously they've been fighting this on the front lines and they're at the point where they're starting to wear down emotionally now. And, and we, we kind of were expecting that and we're like, you know, it's time to see if we can help bolster them a little bit, you know? Right. Right. I I think, you know, leave the medical team in place, but I would bring in, and a chiropractor could be a great resource. um, Bring in some more holistic approach from the other side to, you know, the, the, medical side they're focused on one thing killing the cancer we also need somebody focused on keeping him as healthy and comfortable as possible right and that's what i'm looking at yeah i I would be working with your your chiropractor a naturopath an ntp looking at you know nutrition and and other therapies to help that side of it okay all right, well, thank you very much, Kevin. I appreciate uh, you uh, leaning me towards uh, Charlie Foundation here. I'm definitely going to do the, do the yeah, hard work. <laughs> there you go. Excellent. Great. And, and keep us up to date on how mm-hmm. this is going, and if there's anything else we can help, certainly let us know. Let's go to Pennsylvania. Matt, welcome to the program. Well, good afternoon, Kevin and Kim. Hey, Matt. Hey there. Well, uh, your last show you talked about Michael Pollan's books and Joe Salatin. And yeah. After three or four years of telling you to read them, it's about time. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I was thinking about that. You've recommended books by both of those guys for a couple of years now. Yeah. So, um, yeah, Michael Pollan, you know, I say he's, you know, very well respected in the uh in the food chair. Sure. 
Yeah, hey, hold that thought. I wasn't watching the clock. The music just snuck up on me. We will come right back. Get to more of your calls and questions. Stick around. I'm Kevin Rubin. Welcome back. I'm Kevin Rutherford. This is Destination Health. My co-host is Kim Cockerham. Hey, Kim, before we get back to Matt, um, Bridget sent me some um, good recommendations for, like, uh, diaper rash and and things like that. Um, And she's done a lot of research on this and worked with a lot of um, really natural products. So coconut oil is one. Um, And there's another product she's used called Wax or maybe Wake's line, it's W-A-X-E-L-I-N-E. Um, it's an all-natural alternative to petroleum jelly. And, oh, wow. you know, when you think about that, I never really thought about mm-hmm. this before, but just the name, petroleum jelly? Yeah. Really? Right. <laughs> Come on, that petroleum, that's the stuff we put in our cars and grease our axles with and, um, you know, Probably not something we want to put a lot on our skin, but there's a, a couple good alternatives there. So thank you for that, Bridget. And let's uh, let's get back to the calls. We were talking with Matt about the books. Matt, go ahead. All right. So yeah, Joel Salatin has also wrote several books. Um, actually, I pulled it up on audio. Audible here while I was stopped. Um, originally only had one. It looks like he's got a second one out on Audible now that I just added to my wish list. But his original one on audio is uh, the name of it. Folks, this ain't normal. Uh, and there's a, sub- <laughs> a farmer's I, I, advice you know, for happier hens, healthier people, and a better world. Well, that sounds like a good one. Yeah, and he's He's a very good writer, too. Um, he's one of these guys that doesn't blame, you know, doesn't put blame on how we got to where we are because, you know, especially blaming farmers for moving to the CAFO style and all that. But, you right. know, you go back 150 years and everything was done by manual labor. I mean, back before hydraulic front end loaders to scoop manure, you shovel it with a pitchfork. So right. as technology came along, anything that saved labor 
of course everybody moved to that. So right, right. You, you can't blame. Yeah, and I. Yeah, and I'd like. Where to, we're I, at. I don't want to yep. blame. Yeah, I don't want to blame anybody for how we got here. Let's just figure out how to make it better instead. Yep. So yeah, that's that's a really good one that he talks, you know, about animals and what he's done, his farm, and you know, kind of some advice of where to go. He. He's a really interesting guy. He's, you know, college graduate in debate class, and he I don't remember his full title he gives himself, but he's a um, libertarian, conservative, liberal, uh, lunatic farmer, something <laughs> on that line. <laughs> well, I mean, I, and I, I read that in... Um in Michael Pollan's book as well, that he is a libertarian. So that alone, you know, you got to love him. Yep. Well, and huge support of the fair tax. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. Everything about the guy we kind of, kind of like already. Yeah. So. Yeah. Now I just have to figure out how I can go work on his farm with him one summer. <laughs> well, maybe we'll, we'll plan a, a team summer where we all go do this together. huh? <laughs> That's right. I think it'd be a lot of fun. That would be. Oh, that would be a blast. <laughs> yeah, that would be awesome. Because yeah, actually, one of the other things that he's really good at is marketing. So he's done a lot of the you know farm to consumer type stuff, and he actually teaches classes for small farms that want to sell direct to consumers, and because he, you know, he's been everywhere, farmers markets, and buying clubs, and he says they all have their advantages and they all have their disadvantages, too. Because, right. like, right. bigger... He's in the... Not too far outside of, like, Richmond, Virginia, I believe. Um, so he, he's even in the Washington, D.C. market. Does a lot of stuff up in that area. And he says, you know, it's it's funny. They start farmer's markets because people want to buy direct from the farmer. But once it gets so big, then they got to have a management running it, and then they start imposing <laughs> rules, and it's just, it turns yeah. political, and it actually ends up being a mess. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, you, you know, just, uh, Kim, here, here's something else really interesting about Polyface Farms, Joe Salatin. Um, he decided from the very beginning that he would not ever ship any of his products. And people, like, hound him constantly. It, you know, they can't find grass-fed or local pasture, and they offer to, to buy it from him. Even Michael Pollan. Michael Pollan was living out in San Francisco when he found Polyface Farms and wanted to do that, um, that part of the book. And he was in contact with Joel Salatin and said, oh, and, and while I'm doing the research, can you send me a steak and a couple other things? And Joel said, no. We don't hmm. ship, and we never will. And when you hear all that food, you know, earlier on the other show, when I, I gave that list of food that he produces, it's a lot. And that all gets sold locally. They do not ship. Wow. That is awesome. I love it when somebody stands by their convictions like that and and shows us, you know, what is true and what's real. Yeah. Yeah. He's pretty hardcore environmentalist, you know, about that whole shipping around the world, all of our food getting moved mm-hmm. around and all that's all a waste and 
especially like yeah. lettuce. You know, that's the worst one because 90% of the weight of lettuce is water. <laughs> How much water right. we haul back and forth across this country is is pretty pathetic. But Right. Um, right. Yeah, it's, and it's, he's got you know, some... The other interesting thing I read in one of Michael Pollan's books was that you know, he he's not a huge fan of the organic system because we've kind of bastardized that whole thing. Most organic food today is produced by giant mega farms again. And it turns out that organic food on average is shipped farther than traditional um, non-organically raised produce and food. So in in one way, we're helping the environment with organic by not using pesticides and herbicides and some of those other chemicals, but it turns out we're shipping it farther than traditionally raised food. Actually, the term, I don't know if he's still using it, because it's like the term organic. It was great until the government got involved. That's exactly kind of went downhill. So his latest term he coined, I mean, several years ago, he actually called what he does integrity food. Yeah. Which I think is a great yeah. name. So It is. But yeah. yeah. One, of, one of his other books, uh, it's only in print as far as I know. I don't even know if it's on Kindle, but um, just kind of funny. It's all about selling food and doing everything. It's called Everything I Want to Do is Illegal. what's amazing is all of this stuff trying to do farm to consumer it there's so many laws against it that you know the fda and the usda is has made it almost impossible to happen that's why we don't see it very much i i don't know if i mentioned this this was another fact i got out of one of michael pollan's books and i can't remember if i was just telling this to somebody else or if i mentioned it on the air So meat packing plants, this is one of the biggest obstacles for people who raise grass-fed and pastured animals is trying to get their meat processed, I guess, is really, really difficult. And all the processing is controlled by these giant packing houses, and the regulations about it make it next to impossible to have small custom packers. Here's one of the rules. This one makes me insane. Every packing house, every meat processing packing house has to have a fully dedicated bathroom that can only be used by the USDA inspector. Nuh-uh. Seriously? Yes. Just, just yes. think of a little small family-run place out of their you know, little shop with like three people right. working there, the whole place is, you know, a couple hundred square feet. They got to have a separate right. bathroom, all the expense adding that, just for an inspector. And it, he's the only one who's allowed to use it. And yep. then it turns out that, well, let me talk about this when I come right back from this break. Stick around. We'll be right back with more stuff. Kevin Rutherford.
Welcome back. I'm Kevin Rutherford. This is Destination Health. My co-host is Kim Cockerham. Kim, here's the other thing. I, one of uh, Joel Salatin's friends, realizing that, that the packing part of this was such a big problem, he actually invested a lot of money into creating a small packing house. And that's when they ran into all of these crazy regulations. And even after he jumped through all the hoops and all the hurdles and was up and running, the USDA inspector got pulled out because they said he wasn't doing enough volume. And when they pull the inspector out, then he can't process meat anymore. Oh, that's sad. That's really sad. Yeah. Yeah, it's just, it's insane that, Mm -hmm. you know, even the people who are trying to do things right run into so many unnecessary hurdles like Mm this. And it, again, it does come back to government. Yeah, that's sad. Crazy. Let's, uh, let's get to some phone calls before we've got to get out of here today. Let's go to Mm -hmm. Indiana. Dave, welcome to the program. Dave, are you with me? Dave? Uh-oh. Sounds like somebody's there. Well, I'll put you back on hold. We're going to try to come back to that line. Let's go to Tennessee. Bill, welcome to the program. Well, hello, Kevin and Kim. Um, Hi there, give Bill. Little, uh, give you a little comment about my journey since you began talking about uh uh, well, since you began Destination Health, even before uh, that. And then I've got a uh, question that's, that's rather important about uh, explaining the benefits to family. Um, but in early 2015, Kevin, when you started talking about health, I was one of those guys hollering at you through my radio, changing the channel. And I think I went through probably March to May where I didn't even tune you in. And... Uh, Around the month of May, I started listening again, and I just couldn't wrap my head around the importance of health. I'm 40 years old, 6'1", and uh, you said something in one of those shows when I first tuned back in about feeling good and the importance of feeling good. And I said, you know, I haven't felt good in years. You know, I've battled with low energy, uh, depression, and uh, just unhappy. So in July of last year, I decided I would trade in my uh, three-pack-a-day cigarette habit for one of the electronic cigarettes and and see if I couldn't improve how I felt about that. And uh, I did that successfully. In September, you know, well, thanks. Uh, Yeah, I figured it out. I was having a cigarette every 15 minutes on the road. Uh, Wow. (laughs) And I said, no wonder I don't feel well. But... Mm -hmm. uh, in September, I said, you know, I still don't feel like, like I want to feel. And uh, I started reading some of the, your book rec- recommendations. You know, I started with Wheat Belly and uh, um, uh, Keto Clarity. Uh, and I've been through, I don't know, 15 to 20 of these books you recommended. I've got at least another 15 on my list, but been very valuable. In September of last year, I weighed in at uh, 236 pounds, and I started on a low-carb diet. When I started, I thought, you know, hey, if I can get under 60 grams of carbs, you know, that means I can only have one package of Pop-Tarts today. 
that's how I began. <laughs> right. Uh, but it's slow, you know, a slow progress, you know, uh, and changing uh, uh, how I did things with a goal of getting to 80% fat and uh, under 5% carbs. And on June 24th, just a couple of weeks ago, I weighed in at 178 pounds. Oh, my gosh, Bill. Oh, I now, I now let, yep. let, let's throw, let me throw something else in here real quick, because that's incredible on its own. But if you yep. do any research at all, and a lot of people already know this because they've known people who quit smoking, mm-hmm. one of the biggest problems they tell people who quit smoking is you're going to gain a lot of weight. Most people that's gain right. a lot of weight when they quit smoking. You made two huge improvements by quitting smoking and losing all that weight. And I did that. I, I gained, well, back the, the last time I was under 200 pounds, maybe 198, uh, was back in 1999, thanks to FenFen. Okay? Oh, yeah. And mm, I, wow. I, quit, I quit smoking around the time that that came off the shelves, and I gained 30 pounds in 30 days because mm-hmm. my appetite yeah, was just sucks that it was, you know, so, yeah, to have this kind of weight loss at the same time, and this has never been about weight loss to me, but believe me, I love, you know, I've been through, bought two new belts, and I'm at the last notch on the, the second <laughs> one, and I'm not complaining about it. Um, but it's been about feeling, it's been about feeling good, and uh, that's what this yeah. has done. It's made a tremendous change. And when I stopped to think about, you know, how disgusted I was that you were taking so much of the showtime when you started that. So I just wanted to say thank you. Uh, um, well, because you. Well, I, uh, I, I go down the road. Now, I've got an 2012 emission truck that's leased. So I've got thousands of reasons to be unhappy. And I go down the road, <laughs> and I find myself smiling, and I have no uh, idea why. You know, I just, awesome. I, 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 I feel good. I, I I love that because that was one of the shocking mm-hmm. things for me. And I, I've never been an unhappy or depressed person. I've always been pretty even-tempered and, and not a lot of problems like that. But I, I don't even know if I understood what being happy for no apparent reason even meant. It And now... It's like I feel that way every morning and and most of every day. Just I'm just happier, and and it's kind of amazing that it it's food that does that. It is, and uh, for me, I think what my unhappiness, the root of it was, is the low energy. You know, because I'm not a lazy individual, but there are things I'd like to do and accomplish that I didn't have the energy to, and I think that's a large part of what made me so unhappy. Um, so yeah, it, it's puzzling to me to be, uh, driving down and <clears throat> down the road and saying, what, what are you smiling about? You know, uh, things aren't exactly <laughs> always go the way you want them to. Um, my wife was diagnosed 15, 20 years ago, uh, well, close to 15 years ago with lupus and, uh, she's seen what I've you know, been doing. She started uh, eating ketogenic uh, about six to eight weeks ago, and she's having great results, you know. Um, at the beginning of May, I said, 
and I've been through the discussion with my parents and such and tried to explain, and it's hard, you know, like the other gentleman, it, it's hard uh, when they've uh, been raised uh, as I was, uh, but done it, you know, done things a certain way so much longer to get them to change. It's hard to believe. I mean, they actually worry about worry about me because I, you know, have lost weight. Right. And, you know, that can't be good. But I mean, I haven't <laughs> been this weight since I was 12 years old, and uh, and I know wow. they don't realize, but I know that uh, I've still got a few pounds of fat around the tummy that will come off. But I'm not. You know, it's again. It's not about weight. I just, yeah. I can actually feel what my body should be like now, and what the excess is. Where before I didn't realize. Um, Excellent. So my wife, well, my wife has done this of her own accord, and it's been working well for her. Just you know, because I've been sharing what I, you know, heard on your show and the books that I've read. Um, and I let the kids know I have a 16-year-old daughter and a 15-year-old son. And my daughter was uh, recently diagnosed with IBS um, and happened to be around, you know, shortly thereafter, I was uh, listening to the Eat Dirt book, which Rep uh, mentioned IBS and lupus quite often in that book. It was the first that, you know, identified two things that affect my family directly. So my daughter is is pretty well uh, open to anything that will relieve those symptoms and and, uh, and uh, but my son, fifteen uh, year old teenage boy, he's about he grows so fast. I would guess he's five foot eleven, hundred and forty pounds. You know, he's got an athletic. He's an at, they're both athletes, the kids. But he's got the athletic Good. body that I would have loved to have when I was his age. You know, he's just uh, he's sharp looking, in good shape, feels good. Um, yeah. And my wife tells me he's resistant. In May, I told the kids, come July first, we're not buying anymore grains or sugars, um, and that means, you know, Gatorades and cereals, not just the bread. And he thinks, right. seeing me, that this is about weight loss. Uh, and what I'm trying to convey to him is we all went to, to school with kids that uh, had his body type that by the time, and, I, and we see him still today, that by the time they're in their early 20s, they're very unhealthy uh, in terms of how they yeah. feel, the weight they're carrying, because finally even their metabolism gives in to the exposure to our standard American diet. Exactly. Hey, I hate to cut you off. Let me make a quick recommendation, though, especially for your wife and daughter. Have them look at the GAPS diet. G-A-P-S is a good book about it. Uh, Dr. Campbell McBride, and it's really good for autoimmune and autoimmune. The gap diet is that. We're all out of time. We've got to get out of here. See you next time. Be safe. Healthy. Always. A Napa guy knows the only way you'd give a freshly minted driver a brand new car is if he promises to never drive it. Instead, let him grind the gears and knock over the neighbor's mailbox in something a little more suited to his skill level. And with over 400,000 parts and a little Napa know-how, he can safely drive something that's nearly as old as he is. It's not perfect, 
but it's perfect for him. That's Napa know-how. High-tech meets low prices this summer at the Home Depot. Right now, save up to 35% on appliance special buys, including the spacious GE Slate side-by-side refrigerator and the innovative Samsung stainless steel French door refrigerator. Your choice, just $9.98. A great new fridge for under a grand and savings of up to 35% on appliance special buys. Shop now and save only at the Home Depot. More saving, more doing. Valid through July 13th, U.S. only. See store for details. Thanks for tuning in to the Audio Road. If you have any questions, give us a call at 855-800-FUEL. That's 855-800-3835. Check out the website at letstruck.com and find us on facebook.com slash letstruck.